this morning's show, we are joined by Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent. Good evening, Barry. <laughs> Thank you, Nitin. <laughs> Happy New Year to you and good morning. Happy New Year to you too. And we're also joined by Anthony Doyle, who is Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail. Uh, good morning, Anthony. Oh, hi, Nitin. Good to hear from you again. Good to hear from you too. Happy New Year to you. So, um, despite the mix-up yesterday on X, the SEC is expected to make its decision to allow Bitcoin ETFs later this week. So how do you guys see this impacting the crypto space? And I'll start with you, Barry. All right. Well, look, I'm not sure that we really know the full story of what happened with that um, alleged hack. Um, I, I think there's more to be told, but that is in one sense irrelevant. I think that the Securities and Exchange Commission is indeed going to approve these applications from, what, 7 to 10, 13, in fact, um, money managers who want to include Bitcoin in their exchange-traded funds. This is a big deal as far as I'm concerned, but I'm not a trader. I'm just uh, an observer. It is interesting that I'm reading accounts that say initially there could be $10 billion of additional funds that go into ETFs because people want to have an investment that includes Bitcoin. Bitcoin, of course, in case some listeners don't know, I mean, this is a complicated matter. Bitcoin is a digital currency. It is a cryptocurrency and its value changes day to day and it's in fact very volatile. It's been around since 2009, but um, a lot of people thought, including Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan, that this shouldn't happen. But interestingly, uh, JP Morgan Bank has a, a, uh, a fund that would indeed welcome the inclusion of Bitcoin. But Anthony, I think you've got more intelligent uh, assessments than I can offer. <laughs> Thanks very much, Barry. Um... You know, just to, to echo some of, of Barry's thoughts there, I mean, the big issue with, with the crypto world is that hacks, uh, hacks and theft are common throughout the um, cryptocurrency ecosystem. And there's also um, severe market manipulation on occasion. Um, and so why the investment managers are looking to list an ETF is that um, they argue that by having a spot Bitcoin ETF trade on the stock market, like any other stock, this would remove the technical risk of individual investors, you know, managing private keys and complicated crypto wallets. Now, for me, I think it very much is, firstly, the price action is very much related to SEC approval, which we may see, um, you know, as soon as tomorrow. And secondly, the run-up um, in Bitcoin uh, I think is predominantly generated by retail hype and retail investors. And certainly there's nothing to suggest that the institutional investor would wade into these ETFs in a significant way in these early days, given restrictions on their mandates, particularly given crypto is often used for more nefarious purposes, uh, Nitin. So um, certainly uh, arguments suggest that you may see a further run-up in, in Bitcoin, for example, and crypto over the next couple of days before we may start to see some selling action. And much depends on that SEC approval, despite the theatrics that we've seen around hacking um, with the Twitter account uh, yesterday. 
Well, you're preaching to the choir on the nefarious uses, but um, let's be less controversial. And let's just, I mean, do you think this now becomes a legitimization of cryptocurrencies? Um, or is it really just a case of if we can't beat them, let's just join them? I mean, like Barry alluded to, JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon's not necessarily a big fan of Bitcoin, but JP Morgan have you know, ETFs or will, would like ETFs in the Bitcoin space. So, what is it? Is it really that we're now going to start legitimizing Bitcoin? I'll start with you, Anthony, this time. Yeah, um, I think if there's money to be made, um, the investment management industry will respond with products. And um, we've seen you know, very thematic ETFs uh, listed um, over the course of the last decade. And they have been successful in raising short-term funds. But inevitably, what you typically find is that they're launched at the height of the bubble um, and, you know, responding to investor demand, whether that be, you know, clean energy ETFs or, um, you know, drug ETFs or whether that be, you know, particular um, weird and wacky ETFs that you see uh, listed by investment management firms. I find it difficult to see Bitcoin as a genuine alternative to to fiat currencies issued by central banks and governments around the world. Certainly, there may potentially be more demand for a cryptocurrency, Bitcoin-type alternative in some emerging markets where um, the currency can be debased by inflation and um, central banks that don't have um, the same reputational um, pedigree as many of the developed uh central banks do, um, and we know obviously over the course of the last few years that hard, hard fought for inflation-fighting credibility has resulted in higher interest rates um, around the world. So certainly, um, you know, potentially some use there. Obviously, the, the bigger um, potential is for the blockchain technology to begin to be implemented um, across the financial system. And I see that's where the, the greater demand would come from rather than Bitcoin, which I view very much as a speculative endeavour, which is highly volatile and thus difficult to be you know, uh, sensibly assessed by uh, any reasonable investor. Yeah, I think my take is similar. I, I would add this, Nitin, that um, there is among populations everywhere a certain segment of people who are very skeptical of central banks. They are attracted to the idea that a digital currency can operate out of anybody's control and yet through this, this uh, blockchain technology can be completely transparent. Now this is yet to be tested, but I, th I think it is something of a breakthrough. The Americans have been slow uh, I think Mr. Gensler, uh, I hope he will present a, an explanation, uh, uh, not just of what happened in this blip of uh, the, the, the Twitter or X account, but rather what the Americans really have in mind in terms of this new technology. Let's not forget that FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried and uh, Binance these are people who have skeptical backgrounds and indeed Mr. Bankman-Fried is behind bars because FTX was a fraudulent operation. So this is a test, but I think you have to concede that it's a breakthrough. Okay, and 
while we're, while we're talking about digital currencies, do you think this will now lead to, say, governments uh, fast-tracking their own digital currencies? Barry? My own take on that is yes. Look, the central banks, whether it's the, the Fed, whether it's the Bank of England, all of them have been studying digital currencies for quite some time. I think that it's inevitable that there will be a faster system of payments that will be unveiled and have some kind of supervision. Uh, but let's face it, as, as Anthony was saying, this is not going to be taking off in a big way, but it's a kind of test. Let's see how this goes. Now, an ETF is traded over the uh, markets. It, it, it's like a mutual fund. It has a high fee. So all of these money managers are going to make more money and uh, they're going to be attracted to it. But let's see how it goes. And Anthony? I mean, certainly central banks have told us that they're working on their own CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. Um, and I think that uh, in the eyes of the average investor, they could potentially be seen as a, a more legitimate use. And it really responds. You know, uh, I'm sure in Hong Kong and the United States, contactless payments have um, risen to the same extent as they have here in Australia. Though I know obviously the US um, still like their checkbooks and still like uh, writing checks physically. Um, and <laughs> We're way behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to, you know, the, the banks over here are, are closing ATMs and bank branches because, you know, the, the use of cash has declined so significantly, particularly um, during COVID and post-COVID, for example. And that's been reflected in, in economies around the world and countries around the world. So central banks could legitimately issue their own CBDC. You could see the facilitation of payments or taxation, um, you know, occur very efficiently. Um, so it is likely to continue to progress along that path, I would suggest, Nitin. Um, and I would think that, um, you know, a world where cash is um, eradicated or no longer of use, um, some might say that, that is pie in the sky stuff and you're absolutely dreaming. But inevitably, I think, you know, over the last, if we were here 20 years ago, we probably wouldn't envisage the usage of contactless payments to the same extent that we're seeing today as well. So, you know, never say never. Okay. Um, in the two and a half minutes we've got left, um, let's switch subjects and talk about a combination of the World Bank and the market. So the World Bank yesterday um, announced that they expect slowing global growth. But the markets generally across the world have actually had a pretty positive start to the year. Let's just leave Hong Kong and China out of that one. <laughs> and um, Yeah, so how do we marry this all up? And I'll start with you, Anthony, on this one. Yeah, well, it's a classic, uh, Nitin, that the stock market is not the economy, right? Um, and the stock market is forward-looking. Um, arguably, the World Bank is forward-looking as well. Um, but, of course, economists haven't covered themselves in glory over the course of the last four or five years. Um, so the stock market is really responding to the soft landing narrative becoming consensus over the course of the last two months. Um, expectations that interest rates will further decline, um, that inflation will further decline, and we may indeed begin to see central bank easing of policy as soon as potentially March um, or the second quarter of this year. 
And so with all this um, feel-good news, um, very different to last year when you had the concerns around the financial system and SVB and Credit Suisse, for example, um, markets are really reflecting potentially a little bit of light on positioning, um, a little bit of lower trading liquidity, but also, as I said, that increasing narrative that 2024 from a, a fundamental perspective, from central bank action perspective, may see a reduction in interest rates uh, and uh, equity markets have responded accordingly. Yeah, Nitsen, my, my take on this is that um, the world economy has got to grow at 5% annually to really pull up people in Africa and Latin America where birth rates are high so that their incomes can rise. So the World Bank says, what, 2.4% for 2024? This is a bad number. Uh, it reflects higher interest rates that have slowed growth. And it's the fourth consecutive year of decline. You'd expect coming out of COVID, it would have been much higher. World trade is not growing. China needs to grow much faster. The United States is steady. Europe is really close to recession. So, yeah, I think this is bad news, but um, uh, I think also higher interest rates were vitally important and essential because if you let inflation get out of control, everyone was going to suffer. So we've got to endure this probably for the rest of the year. Okay. Um, we don't have any time left, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, I can talk, as you know, I can probably talk to both of you all day, but... Time does not allow that. So I'd like to thank you both for coming on. Um, that was Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent. Thanks, Barry. And Anthony Doyle, who's Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail. Thank you, Anthony.